I was on the verge of burning out of, of leaving the teaching profession when I left North because I didn't know that there was any other way I could do this. I didn't know that there was a way where I could, you know, not be pulled in 50 different directions and I could focus on my students. I could focus on my curriculum and CART really taught me that, like that I can be a good teacher if I'm given the support and the time uh, to do that. And I want my other teachers in Clovis Unified to be able to do that. You know, I had a friend who said, why are you doing this? Things are good for you at CART. And I'm like, yeah, but I know that they're not good for people other places. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the ACE Pod a production of the Association of Clovis Educators. This episode, uh, I talked to Moira Harada from CART. And what's interesting about Moira's ACE journey is that she's in a really good situation at CART. CART is uh, in a, an innovative place with lots of teacher agency, smaller caseloads, a supportive and engaged administration, and an abundance of resources. But ACE recognizes that we're all in this together and we all deserve this sort of institutional culture. I hope you enjoy this conversation as she discusses her journey from Clovis North to CART and CART's unique and powerful partnership between Clovis Unified and Fresno Unified. So let's get to it. Moira, welcome to the ACE Pod. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's get started. So uh, let's just start with your uh, Clovis Unified journey. How did you uh, How did you get to CART? So it was kind of a long and meandering journey, um, but started with the fact that I grew up in Clovis and um, went to Clovis schools through junior high, junior high through high school. I was actually a member of the first graduating class at Clovis East, where I believe you taught. Um, and I did teach, but we did, we never crossed paths, did we? No, I don't think yeah. we did. Yeah, right. um, that's taken me back a ways. <laughs> How was that? Your like your first few years teaching, or? Yeah, I mean, what? So what? Uh, what year did? You graduated in 03. 03. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I started maybe a little earlier than um, I think I started in like 97, 98. But okay, yeah. Working at Club Seas was my first job at a comprehensive high school. So, yeah, I was pretty, it was pretty early in my career. Fun. Yeah. Well, I, so I don't know, at, even at Clovis East, I kind of always knew I wanted to be a teacher. And in college, I kind of meandered around to a bunch of different things and eventually came back to teaching. Um, I got my teaching credential at Fresno State and um, it was, the height of the recession. So there were not a lot of teaching jobs available and I wasn't expecting to get hired straight out. Um, I did my student teaching at Buchanan for final student teaching and it was really fun. And then my uh, husband, we had just gotten married uh, when I finished the credential program, was getting a master's um, up at Humboldt State. So um, we were separated for like a month or two and then I moved up there after finishing my credential. 
And I subbed for a bit and eventually was hired to work in a classroom at the Humboldt County Juvenile Hall through an AmeriCorps program called Youth Serve. Um, it was a very, very eye-opening, interesting experience. It's a lot smaller than the juvenile hall here. It's uh, like max 40 kids in the whole facility and girls and boys were both kind of there. They had like a girl's wing and a boy's wing. And then the classroom was a mix of all of the students and they were all in independent study. Um, when my husband finished his program, we moved back to Clovis because he actually got an internship at Clovis Unified for um, school psychology. And I, we moved in with my parents uh, because it was an unpaid internship and I didn't have a job, but I had applied to Clovis North for an English teacher position, um, my credentials in English. And I happened to know the LD. She was um, a former drama teacher of mine, Jennifer Enns. And uh, I did the interview. And a couple of days later, I actually got the job. And I kind of couldn't believe it because, like I said, teaching positions were really hard to find at the time. So I just, like, went all in. I was just like, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. <laughs> just, you know, I'm so grateful to have a job. Um, and I taught there for about four years. And it was kind of rough. Like, uh, it, it was a lot. I taught senior English. And I remember the first day, I was like, I, I was hired like a couple of weeks before school started. And they just handed me like a Brit Lit book, uh, the like new 11th, 12th grade initiative, initiative binders, and um, this ERWC binder. And we're just like, go make your curriculum. And just I was, go for it. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. And I was the only regular 12th grade teacher at the time because they had just had their first graduating class the year before I got there. And um, we're still building and moving into open rooms and stuff like that. So it was kind of rough because I didn't have anybody to like bounce ideas off of. My dad had just retired teaching English at Clovis East and he was each teaching 12th grade. So he kind of like bounced ideas off of me, but I was, I was pretty alone for those first few years, especially. Um, and I, I did everything. I was Asian club advisor. I, I think I was also the anime club advisor. I helped out with drama productions, doing costuming and assistant directing. Um, and then I got talked into doing 504 coordinator uh, for 11th and 12th grade. And my son was born in 2014. And after he was born, I just really kind of hit a rough patch where I felt like I was having to choose between being a good mom and being a good teacher. And I was also kind of pressing up against the limits of stuff that I wanted to do with like technology. I was trying to move more into uh, Google Docs and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just, I, I was expressing a lot of frustration with my position at the time online. And a former to mine, Rachel Coots, um, actually was teaching at CART. And she reached out to me and said that there was a position opening up in the law and policy lab and recommended that I apply. And I never went to CART. Um, it was open. My brother was actually one of the first people uh, in the first class when CART opened in 2000, I believe. Um, but it sounded cool. And it's like technology and project-based learning and so I mentioned my previous experience teaching at Juvenile Hall, and I thought maybe I could I could work this. I've you know I've been teaching argumentative writing as the main focus for twelfth grade, and that's kind of like legal writing. And I was just willing to learn more, and so I dived in, and they actually hired me, and that's how I got to that, work. That that's uh, that's an amazing like 
you have no, like le- you had no legal experience, right? Right. So no, in the state of California, you have to have either a social science uh, credential or an English credential to teach CTE law. All right. All right. Very cool. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure, it, uh, you know, having that kind of argumentative, uh, writing back rap probably really helped, but also kind of the experience of, you know, doing all these different things as a young teacher, right. Probably kind of, you know, was, I, I, I imagine was, was quite rough, but uh, also maybe kind of buoyed your confidence, right. If I could, if I could do this, I could do this. You yeah. Know, yeah. You this. know, I'd done so many things at that point. I was just like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And yeah. it's been one of the best things I ever did. Yeah. And then you're also bringing up kind of all these like close East, like people, right? <laughs> Rachel, your dad, yeah. Jennifer Enns, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of all these people from the kind of the early, you know, wild, wild West or wild, wild East as it were, right? Well, so, you know, it's, it's so funny when I was doing my student teach, uh, or before I did my student teaching, I was doing some credential classes and I actually ended up subbing and they actually kind of hired me on a like every other day basis to help uh, Gabe to Ninehouse do a, uh, SAT prep class. And so like just the number of Clovis East references in my life and the number of Clovis Unified references in my life just continue to compound. I work with Adam Higginbotham who taught AP uh, US history, which I didn't take because I didn't finish the Sudmer project, but (laughs) he he doesn't hold it against me now. (laughs) Back in the old days when they wouldn't let you, wouldn't let you in the class if you didn't do the summer project. Yep. Yeah. Now, now it's just like, yeah, come on in. We'll <laughs> worry about that summer project later. Yeah. All right. So, you know, now you're at cart and, um, you know, obviously it was a, a, a really good move for you. So just talk about what do you, what do you love about your job at cart? Oh my gosh. So much. Um, I think the biggest thing is the amount of time and ability to connect with students on a, a one-on-one or small group basis. Um, you know, when I was teaching at North, I had five sections of close to 40 kids, sometimes over 40 kids each. So like 180 kids total. And me as a teacher by myself, trying to connect with all those kids. I mean, you know, I made the connections, but I'm sure that there were still kids that I never had a personal conversation with once in the entire year, just because you're so busy. And it, at CART, I do have, so we have two kind of periods. We have an AM section and a PM section and the classes can be anywhere from 50 to 70 kids, but because of the way CART's organized and because I'm also co-teaching with two other teachers, um, I get three hours a day with that classroom of kids. And I, if I'm not doing direct instruction, I'm helping out while one of the other teachers is doing direct instruction. So I can be popping around at tables and helping kids and having those connected moments or, if a kid's having a really hard time, I can take them out in the hall and talk to them about what's going on. It's just a structure that allows me one of the best parts of teaching for me to be able to have those relationships with kids. Yeah, it just sounds like such a creative space, right? And it's just so such a unique and just so different from what we kind of imagine the classroom to be, right? And, you know, English teachers all across the district and probably all across the country are like, Hey, I have, you know, 180 students, 200 students. I know, Mm -hmm. like I work with English teachers that have 220, 230 
students and trying to kind of manage that load and great essays. And, oh, yeah. and then as you like are kind of, you know, talking about right now is kind of meeting them in the small spaces, right. And getting to know them on that kind of personal level and being able to kind of devote time directly to them. It's just not a luxury that, you know, kind of in the traditional settings, yeah, you know, it's it's definitely something that like the, the kids will sometimes tell me, oh, I like CART so much better than my homeschool. And I try to remind them that the things that they get at CART or the things about CART that structure is structured the way it is, make it easier for me to do the things that I know engage them and to be, you know, give their other teachers a break because they have a lot more on their plate yeah. and a lot more expectations um, than I do. The other thing is, is with the project-based learning and a lot of the group stuff, I spend a lot less time lecturing mm-hmm. um, and a lot more time having the kids do kind of exploratory learning on their own. Like we set up the parameters and we coach them through it, but they do a lot of the find the question, figure out the research, figure out the answer, formulate it, present it kind of stuff. And oftentimes we'll break up the class into, you know, smaller groups and then I'll mentor a certain number of groups. So I got really close with those kids in that project. And then maybe in the next project, I mentor a different set of groups. And so it's easier to connect there too. Right. All right. So, yeah, so we have this kind of, you know, incredible and creative and innovative space. And maybe we should kind of back up a little bit and just let you kind of explain like the school a little bit, you know, because it is so kind of uh, different from kind of our, you know, the, these kind of you know, the enormous comprehensive the sites that we have. So, yeah. Uh, so, let you just kind of spend some time doing that. So, CART actually hit its 20th year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I know, right? We got shirts and everything. Um, and it's it's a really unique school. Uh, oftentimes, I actually have to point out to people that it's not a school. It's technically a program because we're not a comprehensive site. Um, but we are a, what's called a, in the legal world, joint powers association uh, between Fresno and Clovis Unified. And basically, that just means that half of our staff is CUSD. And half is FUSD, and we try to reach the same for our students. So we draw juniors and seniors from every high school in Fresno and Clovis Unified. Um, some people think that we only take the smart kids, and that makes it easier. But uh, she's putting I, she's putting that in quotes. Sorry, air quotes. <laughs> smart kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I forget. I'm like not going to be yeah, seen. Yeah. Audio. Yeah. Um. But the only actually requirement to get into CART is that you attend a Clovis or Fresno school, you have a 2.0 grade point average, and you are on track to graduate. Um, And then it's a lottery system. Basically, we have like a certain number of spots. So in the law lab, I have a certain number of spots set aside originally for each high school in Clovis and Fresno. But say, you know, kids from Clovis High are just not as interested in law. So then maybe we don't get as many of those kids applying and those spots then go um, to wait lists for other schools. So we can get kind of a diverse mix. It's always been interesting to me. Our Fresno Unified our, our, tends to be our larger group in our AM section and then our PM section tends to be larger Clovis Unified. And I don't know why that kind of rounds out the way it does. But um, so you, the kids apply online. It's a lottery system. They put their top three choices for a lab most of the time they get, at least get into the school. Um, I don't remember our numbers off the top of my head. I think it's like something like 
2000 something. So it's like roughly half of that is Clovis and half is supposed to be Fresno. We try and work it out that way. Um, we have 14 different labs and each lab has a career and technical education focus. So um, we have everything from law to biomedicine, um, environmental lab, psychology, uh, multimedia and graphics design, uh, robotics and production. It's uh, really, really cool. And each lab is a team teaching experience. So you have three teachers in the lab. You have the teacher who teaches the subject matter, which is actually an elective. So I'm an elective teacher for law. Every kid in every lab gets English. Um, it's 11th and 12th grade combined because the standards are the same. It's actually an honors English if you come to us. And then you either get a science subject, and that's kind of like the south wing of the building, and then or a social science subject, and that's the kind of north wing of the building. So like in uh, forensics, you get a uh, special forensic science course credit that is kind of like a mix of physics and chemistry and some advanced um, other sciencey stuff because I'm not a science teacher. Sorry. Um, in my lab, the kids get uh, government first semester and econ second semester, and that's what um, my co-teacher teaches. But the awesome thing is that they get the subject matter classes and standards through the lens of the lab that they join. So in my class, everything is through the lens of law. And my um, GovEcon teacher and my English teacher do a really good job coordinating with me. So like our first project is constitutional law. The kids are getting, you know, governmental foundations, the Bill of Rights, all that fun stuff. But then I'm teaching about the Supreme Court and how those, you know, fundamental rights are challenged on a daily basis um, and how that works in the real world. And my English teacher is reading a book with them, uh, a dystopian book. I think we use uh, Anthem by Ayn Rand. And they get to look at a world where those lot, those rights are not, you know, available. And what does that mean? And so it's really fun. And then second semester, my uh, economics teacher does a really good job of uh, coordinating with our criminal law unit. So he does like supply and demand, but like crime wise. And it's kind of fun. Um, so each lab also has industry partners that come in um, as guest speakers or mentors, or some of the labs actually do internships. Um, I know our marketing lab still does internships. Uh, it's harder for law because of legal restrictions, but we have uh, a lot of guest speakers and we have one project in particular where we have about 40 members of the Fresno Bar Association lawyers and law students who come in and mentor our kids. Um, and then there's the technology aspect and each kid is given access to a laptop while they're on campus. Uh, we do share the laptops between our AM and PM kids so they can't necessarily take them home, but we do have laptop checkouts um, for kids who need it. And also they get access to a lot of industry technology, like in our robotics lab, there's like 3D printers and, um, you know, all this yeah, stuff used to make robots. I've been to like you, uh, uh, Cart puts on like the fairs or whatever. Like, oh, the showcase, yeah. Yeah, that, those are those are remarkable. If you haven't if you uh, haven't been to one of those, you, you need to go, right? So yeah, you can see, yeah, what kids are creating and kind of all these different labs. The three D printer stuff is is remarkable. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and then my son has gone to my son is in seventh grade, uh, and he's gone to or for a couple of years in a row he went to. Uh, the summer camps. Oh and, yes, summer academy. I yeah, 
Yeah, and he did the the movie making camp two oh, years ago. Awesome. He loved it. Yeah, it was very cool. He learned like he can use um, Adobe Premiere. So yeah, very it's very cool. So you have this uh, you've got a really unique site, mm-hmm. and then there's this kind of really unique circumstance, right, where you um, where Fresno Unified and Clovis Unified are what was the that was the first time I've ever heard the those Joint words. Powers Association. Yeah. Joint Powers um, Association, where not only do you have Fresno Unified and Clovis Unified students together, but you also have Fresno Unified and Clovis Unified teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thing. actually, in my lab, it's uh, we have two Clovis teachers and then one Fresno teacher. Our English teacher is a Fresno teacher. And um, is it the equally divided, like, um, the teacher, the teaching staff? It's equally divided as a whole school. Individual labs have different right, right. setups. Yeah. Um, and so obviously this brings up some kind of unique uh, circumstances and kind of, you know, obviously ACE is an organization that is uh, running kind of a, an organizing drive to unionize Clovis Unified. Yes. Um, and you work at a school that is half, you know, half union, half FTA, and, you know, currently half not. And that's brings up some interesting contrasts, right? So yes. you, like, what are the, some of the contrasts that you've, you've noticed along the way? Uh, so this year it's been made especially uh, more apparent because we have had to balance between the two districts about reopening and hybrid and, you know, especially it's like if you have two teachers at the lab from one district and one from another, and one is saying, you know, we're opening and the other is saying, no, we're not making our teachers go back right now. It's kind of hard. You have to definitely have that balance. Um, The other thing I kind of always knew, you know, when I was hired in Clovis Unified, I knew that we were paid less. Like that was kind of common knowledge, but at the time it was like, Oh, we're paid less, but um you know, you get good support and you have a really great benefits package and all of that stuff. And I started to notice, like, I want to say like maybe two years ago when we were getting all of these comparisons for picking new like uh, co-pays and fees for our, for our medical plan. And I was talking with a Fresno Unified teacher and I was like, you know, but our plan's better than yours. I mean, this is how much I pay. And he's like, I don't pay that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, I pay this much. And I'm like, and we have both have that exact same size family. And I was like, well, your co-pays are higher, right? Or you have some deductible or something. It's like, nope, his co-pays were lower. And that kind of started to get to me because it was like, we're all contracted. We get an extra period stipend. Uh, we're, we're there for the same amount of time. You know, we have the same amount of kids. We have the same amount of extra duties and everything else like that. And I was like, well, if our benefits packages aren't better, how much more do you get paid than I do? <laughs> and uh, this year I, I sat down with a friend of mine, Kat, uh, and she was like, well, let's look it up. I'll tell you how much I get paid. I don't care. And um, I went on, we, we decided to go on uh, with this website called uh, Transparent California because it has all the data for like public employees and stuff. And especially with kind of the union things, I was like, well, you know, I know this kind of tangentially, but I want to know exactly what it looks like. So the most recent data they had was from 2018. And we sat down and it was like, she had been working for Fresno Unified at that time for six years. And I had been employed for 10 
And she, for teachers who know the salary schedule, had a BA plus 40 units. And I had BA plus 75, which is as far as you can go over on the salary schedule without having a master's. And at that time, she made a full $10,000 a year more than I did. And that's like benefits, pay. The only place I made slightly more than she was, was I get like a larger stipend, but still the overall total she was paying. She was making $10,000 or more than I did. She's like halfway through this, the salary schedule, whereas I'm all the way over and she has like less experience than I do. And it just, it just hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It stung. It was just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing, right. To, you know, to know, Hey, we're close unified. We have kind of these, you know, like unique programs that like allocates money elsewhere. And we, you know, we know that we're kind of less paid than, you know, that high school that's in that other district. But yeah. it's the teacher that is like in the classroom, like right next door to you or. Yeah. Or, or in the classroom with lab. me. Yeah, I mean, lab. it's just like, yeah, Dude, that, grief. that definitely, you know, kind of smarts a little more than, than kind of normal. Um, well, so. and she and I started talking and like, I know that when I was doing 504s, I found out that different 504 coordinators at different sites were paid different amounts for their stipends. And she was like, oh, in, you know, in Fresno, every single extracurricular thing. It's based on time. It's not based on if it's coaching, it's not based on if it's this or if it's that you all get the same stipend. And so understanding uh, for me, especially how much, uh, control my individual site had on determining what people were paid. And it's like, I'm doing okay. I'm not suffering for money. I have a, I have a spouse who has a decent paying job, but there's gotta be some level of like, is that fair to be asking people to do the same amount or more work and to not be paying them what they're worth? Like that's problematic. And I'm sure that other people are hurting. They don't have a spouse with a full-time job. They don't have, you know, they have more kids than I do. So they have to pay more on their plan. They have more health issues. So they have to pay the higher co-pays that keep going up. And it just, it smarts to see, what it could be almost every single day and to have yeah. to think about that now that I know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost something that you wish you'd never like open that. Right. <laughs> like, yep. let's not look at this. I'd rather not know. I'll just live in blissfully live in, in ignorance. Um, and, you know, like, you know, we keep saying, we've talked about it on this podcast before that, um, you know, Compensation is not the thing that's driving us as an organization. It's not the thing that has led us to ACE, but it's just not, it's foolish to say that it doesn't matter. Of course, of course it matters, right? Compensation definitely matters. I see kind of, you know, my coworkers who, you know, are single income homes, Mm -hmm. right? That have to just pile on, you know, the work, um, because just to kind of you know, maintain that standard of living and then they're kind of overworked right? and then yep. their, their performance is degraded because of that. Um, and, you know, just so like clearly it's it's important. Clearly it's uh, an issue we need to talk about. And it's just the truth. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what other, you know, like I said, I, ha- I have enough units to have a master's. What other industry has, um, you know, master's level t- ex- uh, professionals who are not paid what they're worth? I mean, right. I had a friend, I remember she started in private industry with a, just a BA out of college um, and like uh, insurance or something like that. And she was making like what I was making after teaching for five or six years, like just right out the gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, to know that the person like teaching with you, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, is not as far over on the salary schedule and just, you know. Uh, oh yeah. And then, I, and then I looked at their salary schedule and where I would be if I worked for Fresno and that hurt too. I was like, oh man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, they get to kind of that high end much quicker than we do, right? And the disparity between years fifteen and and twenty five is 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 quite large. Um, that doesn't mean, right, that like ACE is gonna, you know, when we become the union and we kind of uh, uh, you know use you know kind of survey the membership and what are what are important, what are our priorities as a, a group as a as a membership. Yeah, that doesn't mean that we're going to get kind of huge raises. It doesn't mean that oh, yeah. all of a sudden we're going to become, well, it's, that's it's never like, been an aim of, of ACE. Um, but the truth is not something we should be afraid of. And yeah. the truth is, right, that we are, you know, we are uh, paid less than the folks or the, the teachers in our area, the educators mm-hmm. in our area. And then when you compare like districts, that's just the truth. And we shouldn't be yeah. afraid to have a conversation. About well, and that. as a teacher for me too, it'd be like if I was getting paid less, but I knew that was because our class sizes were smaller and they were using that to hire other teachers. Or if I was getting paid less and I knew it was because we needed to hire more social emotional counselors on our campuses for kids. Or if I was getting paid less, but I knew like, I mean, there is a lot of different things and it's just like the compounding issues mm-hmm. where those things aren't happening that makes it even a little harder and i think uh like this needles at a point right that we've tried to make uh over and over again is kind of like transparency right yeah why is it that we are what is what is kind of making us the least paid kind of educators. Yeah. The, well, where is that right? money going? You know, why do I have to talk to teachers at other sites to find out that they make a different stipend than I do? Why do I have to talk to teachers right. at other sites to find out that their class sizes are smaller or they're this or or whatever? And why is there such wide disparity between locations in the same district? Yeah. Yes. All right. So speaking of uh, differences, right? <laughs> so you've worked at kind of two kind of different places to vary. So you've worked at a comprehensive, you know, one of our centers, right. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of comprehensive traditional um, high school. And then you've worked at, you're currently working in this really kind of unique and innovative environment. So like what, what do you see as the, the differences between those, those two sites? Uh, there are a lot. And, and I understand going into this, that I work at a, uh, you know, a choice school kind of an elective program. And I understand that our funding is different and there are other things, but I honestly, when I left North, I was on the verge of possibly leaving the teaching profession. I was so burnt out and I just didn't see that there could be another way. And CART 
showed me that there could be another way. And it did that in a lot of areas. One of the first things is student caseload. Um, you know, I still have, like I said, 60 to 70 kids in a class. So I could have, if, you know, we have two sessions, I could have on my load max, like 140 kids on average. I usually have probably more around 130, but that's still 40 kids less than I was teaching at Clovis North. And you don't think 40 kids is a lot, but when you're grading essays, oh man. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It makes a yeah. huge difference. It's just like the amount of time I get to spend on each paper or the amount of time I get to spend. Right now, the kids are writing witness statements for our mock trial and I can go in and I can get in with the nitty gritty and I can point out the kids' grammar and I can make recommendations. And it's just, and especially co-teaching with those kids, it's like, it's, a, it's amazing the difference. Um, extracurricular expectations are different. CART, I still have extracurricular stuff. Um, we have parking lot duties, you know, we have uh, recruiting. I have to, uh, a couple of days a year, I have to go recruiting out at the, um, I go to Clovis North actually, um, uh, to recruit kids to, uh, in 10th grade to want to come and see what CART is about and, you know, apply. Uh, we have parent information nights for parents who are interested in having their kids come and they want to know more about the program. We have our annual showcase, which, uh, you talked about yeah. and, oh man, that's a huge event. We have over a thousand people come through our facility on that one day and night. Um, in January. And then usually each lab has an extra showcase either in the fall or later in the spring um, to show off their, their projects. But at North, I mean, whoo-wee. so I wasn't required to coach or do 504s. I'm going to use those air quotes again, required, but it was heavily encouraged that I have some sort of extra outside of the classroom responsibilities and club advisor was not enough yeah <laughs> uh so in particular right in the infancy of the like you were there pretty early on in its life right like uh yeah uh so they had their first graduating class in 2011 and I was hired for the 2011-2012 school year so right after that um yeah and things were building mm -hmm. uh and it was you know I've seen teachers hired specifically because they could coach something. Right. Um, and then you get wrapped into it and you feel like you can't say no and, you know, all of that stuff. So I got pulled into doing 504s and I had a huge caseload of kids, like 50 11th and 12th grade 504s of plans I had to monitor. I had to have a meeting for every single one every year. Um, and it basically took up my entire prep. Wait, you were teaching a full-time like APU, right? Five sections. Five sections. And I was giving up my prep for 504. Wow. That, that's a lot. And you were like, this was pretty early in your career, right? Oh yeah. Like I think like yeah. my second year I there, I took on 504s or wow. Wow. something wow. like that. So I, yeah, no, maybe at the end of my second year or third year, cause I finished BITSA. They did let me get through that. And then I got this thrown on me. Yeah. And I was also, of course, you know, you have kids, I was expected to have you know, we have our lunch, I'm using air quotes again, but I was expected to be available to help kids. And it was sometimes the only time that they could come in and I was expected to be available after school. And I had kids who were like, please be our club advisor. And there were no Asian teachers on campus at the time when I was at Clovis North. I think they hired some at the junior high level, but um, 
so I don't, my husband's half Japanese, my adopted sister is Hmong and I have some passing relationship with the Asian culture. So I felt like, you know, they needed an Asian club and they needed an advisor and nobody else would do it. So, you know, you have all these things where it's like for the kids, for the kids, and you just keep piling it on and you have, you know, assigned duties at dances and sports games, and you have to be out there monitoring, you know, and it's, it's, it's rough. It's, I'm not saying that cart has no duties. Like I said, we have still our requirements, but the amount that it feels like we're expected to do, uh, is different. And I left Columbus North partially because I felt like if I said I wasn't going to do 504s anymore, something not so great might happen. (laughs) And I'm just, you know, I mean, I can't blame that anybody. Nobody ever said that to me, but it was definitely a feeling in the air. I'll just put it that way. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I think we've been involved in ACE long enough to hear a lot of teachers talk about kind of that that feeling, right? That feeling, right? If I don't do this or if I do that, that you know, something something bad's gonna happen. Right. Yeah. It's it it weighs on you, you know, you feel like it it's pushing on you and you're you're trying to push through and keep doing all this stuff and being the good teacher and you know, kids ask you to go to their sports games and they ask you to go to this and you're trying to be a good teacher and show up and do those things. And I just feel like I'm able to do that stuff a lot more with CART, even though I'm, you know, driving halfway across Fresno for a dance recital because it's a Roosevelt kid or a, you right, know, on this right. side of town or a Clovis East kid on that side of town. Um, that is, pre- I mean, that like where I'm diverting here a little bit, but that's got to be a really kind of interesting experience, kind of the, the kind of, diaspora of, of like students right from all over the fresno county right from fresno and yeah very kind of disparate groups of people coming together in this in you this know place. it's funny because it it dispels for for me and for the kids a lot of stereotypes mm-hmm. i think that they both have about oh those rich clovis kids or yeah, yeah. you know oh those poor fresno kids yeah. who are uneducated or whatever and then you have I it's one of the, my best things about cart is seeing kids come together and I remember one year there was this particularly close group of friends and I think they were all from like five different high schools and they all went to their each other's graduations at the end of the year and we're driving across town to hang out and they're like I had kids who've been like I'd never even been past you know willow or something like that <laughs> to the other side of town and it's 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 pretty neat it's pretty neat it's also that, interesting that sounds amazing that sounds really neat because i've worked at i've worked yeah i went from buchanan high school i worked at buchanan high school for one year um which is a, a long story and then um yeah two years later i was working at roosevelt high school um yeah. right so i went from you know, at the time, kind of the most affluent, mm-hmm. you know, school in the area to, you know, kind of the school with the lowest socioeconomic status. And, um, you know, kind of, we had almost, you know, close to 1,000 at Rosal, close to 1,000 students who were designated English language learners. So, um, and it was literally Buchanan when I was the year I was there was the first area or the first high school in the area to to top 800 in the API and that was that might be that might predate you as a teacher but that was kind of our you know the state kind of metric for how good you were so the higher yeah. was the better school you were I'm using air quotes now um, 
And so I went from the high school that had the highest API to the the school that had the lowest. And yeah. And you know, in just a matter of a couple of years. And you know, the kids at Buchanan were amazing. I had a great, you know, time with them. And then, you know, the kids at Roosevelt were amazing. Um, you know, obviously very, very disparate circumstances and mm-hmm. experiences. Um, you know, they brought different strengths and weaknesses with them to the classroom, but they both sets of kids had strengths and, and weaknesses and, you know, kind of, um, and then same thing with the teaching staff, right? The, you know, I was only at Buchanan for a year, but, you know, kind of a dedicated, uh, you know, strong teaching staff. And then, um, I mean, I will say this, you know, to kind of, like as as long as I'm a as long as I'm a teacher and as long as this there there's this kind of pervasive negative view of Fresno Unified, mm-hmm. um, the most dedicated and talented teaching staff I've ever worked at or worked with was at Roosevelt High School, um, and yeah. they had to they had to run really really fast just to kind of make little progress right and yep. the challenges they face every single day. The challenges that the kids face every single day, um, you know, are, you know, are hard to kind of fathom, um, you know, on the this side of town sometimes, right? It, it's, yeah, yeah, the circumstances yeah. are, are um, at, at times quite dire. So, you know, we definitely have that. It's, it's so interesting. We have that. <laughs> I remember one year we had a kid who had a brand new Tesla and then. I had another kid who was sleeping on couches because their brother had been shot in front of their house and they didn't feel safe there. And they were just like couch surfing to other places. And so just, you know, kids are kids, but some have different things to deal with. And I'm not saying the kid with the Tesla had nothing to deal with. He had, you know, his, his own stuff, but it's just that wide range. And I think that having the kids mixed together, um, allows them to see that as well and allows them to humanize each other as more than just stereotypes. And it also, it also brings up a lot of issues because we're a technology school and we do provide the kids with laptops at the school, but like dealing with the the technological divide of who has what at home has been an interesting challenge that we continue to grapple with at CART. I will say in class, the technology is amazing and a lot easier to deal with. Uh, than than it was at Clovis North. I we do most of our stuff digitally. We use a lot of uh, Google Classroom, Google Docs. We were in a pretty good place right before the pandemic hit because we had some experience with all this stuff. Um, and I just remember at Clovis North uh, trying to. I was pushing it, wanting to do some more of this kind of stuff with computers. And I remember doing a research project at the end of the school year. I would do a controversial issues research paper. And I had to either schedule time, you know, down in the computer lab, which was hard to get, you know, into, or I'd have to roll a giant cart of laptops into the elevator to get it upstairs to my room and then push it down the hall and find a place to plug it in. And then we didn't have enough plugs in the room for the kids. And I had, you know, like six periods back to back and the laptops would lose charge and I remember one year I had reserved them in advance and then they're like, oh, by the way, we need these for testing. You can't have them anymore. And they took yeah. them back. Yeah. yeah. I, 
like uh, a couple things about the pandemic, right? Um, I just want to, you know, kind of celebrate. Sure. I want to celebrate uh, <laughs> uh, the educators, right? Yeah, you know, like sounds like you've been kind of tech savvy and kind of, uh, you know, were easily kind of easy easily transitioned into the pandemic, and uh, I certainly feel that was the case for me, but there, a lot of our colleagues, right. That wasn't the case. Right. And this was, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, they learned, uh, you know, things that were uncomfortable and they did it quickly. Right. Learning to teach over zoom was very difficult, but then also like everything through Google classroom, everything digitally, when you're used to, you know, kind of collecting papers. Um, so I, I think that's kind of, uh, a heroic effort by quite a, quite a few teachers. Oh yeah. For many of us, it was a a, a little a little bit easier of a transition. I mean, staring at Zoom all day wasn't great, but no. <laughs> yeah, the other the other kind of aspects were were fairly uh, easy. And then the second thing is, man, I hope we learn some lessons from this. Um, and my fear is that we're going to learn nothing. Um, but I mean, how much money do I, I bet somebody knows? But how much money we've saved in just paper? Uh, oh yeah. You know, I remember going to like a tech boot camp uh, when I was teaching at North. I went, it was actually hosted at CART and it was this, you know, the paperless classroom. Yeah. And it's like, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> and, me too. and now I have it and it's amazing, but it didn't come without a lot of infrastructure and resources. You know, I mean, I know the stereotype is that Clovis North is the new school mm-hmm. and we did have a lot more technology. I had the actual, like, you know, I got a doc cam for the yeah, first yeah. time and we had some of the other stuff and it was all built in. But at the same time, I'm still having to cart all those laptops up. And I think one lesson from the pandemic is we apparently could have afforded to get kids laptops and hotspots a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And why didn't we? <laughs> right. I mean, and, and that's just about priorities, right? Like, right. And um, I think those of us doing the work in the classroom, right, and mm-hmm. on the ground educators, uh, you know, working with kids every single day could have told, you know, could have said, you know, five, 10 years ago, hey, we need, this is where, like, this is the future. This is where we're going. We need to invest in this. Um, and, you know, uh, we've done a lot better the last couple of years building kind of uh, kind of tech infrastructure. And then obviously the pandemic really kind of accelerated the yeah yeah I just kept thinking like you know I hope that a lot of these kids get to keep their laptops because that'll make homework we don't we don't we try not to give too much homework but that'll make homework a lot easier and then the other thing I wanted to backtrack to is I just want to give three cheers to you teachers at traditional ed sites in my room I have a team so if something goes wrong with zoom or a kid needs help getting in and I'm doing direct instruction. I have two other teachers that I can be like, hey, hop on with blah, blah, blah and get him connected. I can't, I can't stop. Like, you know, and I don't know how people who are in their own classroom by themselves are doing everything. They're teaching their tech support, their, you know, whatever else it is. And three cheers to you guys, seriously. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it is definitely, you know, juggling. Um, And often like it's flaming, you know, flaming chainsaws. I don't even know if that is a thing. Flaming <laughs> chainsaws. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yes, doing the juggling uh, on, yeah, on, a, would, on a T-Rex. I would, uh, yes, I would pay to see the guy juggling the flaming chainsaws on the T-Rex. So, uh, <laughs> Moira, um, but, so as to, to close this segment out, sure. why are you signing the union support petition? 
so like I said, I, I was on the verge of burning out of, of leaving the teaching profession when I left North because I didn't know that there was any other way I could do this. I didn't know that there was a way where I could, you know, not be pulled in 50 different directions and I could focus on my students. I could focus on my curriculum and CART really taught me that, like that I can be a good teacher if I'm given the support and the time uh, to do that. And I want my other teachers in Clovis Unified to be able to do that. You know, I had a friend who said, why are you doing this? Things are good for you at CART. And I'm like, yeah, but I know that they're not good for people other places. And I also still see the disparities even for us. Um, you know, I was treated differently than my FUSD staff during this last year, and it was dramatically apparent. Um, and I just want, I want CUSD to be what it can be. I want it to be better. I want it to be what it was promised to be. And I want those smaller caseloads of students so that we can really say it's people, not programs, you know, so we can really say it's um, every kid has a shot. Every kid deserves the support. And I just don't feel like that's the way things are right now. I, you know, when I have kids in Clovis Unified who say, um, I'm trying to talk to them about next year and they've been trying to get into their counselor for like two or three weeks and, you know, they had to go and leave a note and, and haven't heard back. And I'm not blaming the counselors. The counselors have huge caseloads or the fact that we only have a school psych on Clovis on CART campus one day a week. And there's like one social emotional school psych, I think for the entire Clovis East Rayburn complex, like all the other school psychs are spending all of their time doing testing and evaluation because they just have these huge caseloads. And that's not good for kids. It's not good for kids. It's not good for the professionals because they feel like they're failing when they're doing the best they can to keep things afloat. And even administration, like I have a dean of curriculum who is available to come in and watch me teach and give me feedback and give me support and resources. And I know that my administrator at Clovis North, and I was lucky to have an administrator who had taught the subject that I was teaching. And she gave me really great feedback when she actually managed to get into my room, but it was a huge, you know, campus and it had a lot of responsibilities. And she was the LD for the high school English department and the junior high English department. And when was she going to be able to get in? So 90% of the time I was just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it stuck. And I just, I don't want that. I don't want that for other teachers. I don't want that for new teachers. I don't want people coming in like I was excited and bright and believing in CUSD and then slowly feeling like you're failing at everything and leaving the profession. And I think that ACE can be the difference. I think that transparency, I think that feeling like even if you're heard, even if not all of these things change, and I know that they're not necessarily going to, but having a seat at the table where we feel like we're heard and it's not just like, oh, let's survey about how you feel and then completely ignore that survey, <laughs> which I feel like has happened time and time again. It, it certainly has. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to highlight, you know, something that you said there because, you know, some people might be surprised, right, that you you were, were, were 
our message is clearly one of, you know, partnership and not division. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen um, since I've come back to the district in 2015 is just the, the complete lack of, you know, administration connection to the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And, right, you're talking about uh, Jennifer Enns, who was just an incredible English teacher, right? And mm-hmm. has, you know, had a, kind of a wealth of, of kind of wisdom and, and knowledge to share, right, with a young English teacher, but was so over, overwhelmed with what she was asked to do, right? That the classroom was the last thing that, yeah, and I'm just speculating here, but yeah. that you know, it was just the last thing that she could get to. Um, and, um, you know, it might surprise people, but it would be nice to see our administrators in the yeah. classroom more often. Yeah. So that, you know, not only so that they could, could uh, you know, help us with our craft, but so that they have a better kind of sense of what the classroom actually is. Yeah. Well, to just yeah. today, my, um, my co-teacher was doing a, uh, a in-class debate. He arranged to do a debate of capitalism, uh, anti-capitalism or pro-capitalism as part of his economics unit. And we had our CEO, the principal, were just like, hey, do you think you could come in and watch? I think it's going to be really cool. We tapped this student who's an ambassador and he was able to take the time and just come watch this really cool thing that we were doing. Yeah. And it's like, I never would have been able to get, yeah. you know, and, not, and I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm like, that's the thing. Like you said, Jennifer Enns had this wealth of knowledge and she was one of the best administrators I've ever had. Um, but they're overloaded too. Like as, as nice as my principal was, or as nice as my um, LDs were, I didn't have, I didn't, there wasn't that room for me to be just like, Hey, come watch this neat thing. Right. Like, and maybe, maybe once. Yeah. But like, I've had him in my classroom watching neat things like three or four times just this semester. And it's cool. It's cool to have him see what we're doing. It's cool to get the feedback. It's cool to have things to, to bounce ideas off of, well, what, what could we do differently? Or, hey, you know what? I connect this to this in this other lab. You should ask them what they're doing. And just having his awareness of that and having, you know, I know we're a much smaller site, so he has the ability to focus on that. But couldn't we manage to do something like that even at the big sites? Couldn't we manage to hire enough administrators to help uh, really aid in curriculum instruction development rather than just putting all these mandates on teachers and just letting them run their classrooms like little fiefdoms or something? I don't know. All right. Yeah. So, you know, it's a vision, right, for the Mm -hmm. future, right? And change is good. And, you know, ACE is is hopefully going to bring that change. So, Myra. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I've I've been really excited to I think you know share my my perspective and and the fact that I am a Clovis teacher and these things exist for me and they can exist for other people too. Yes, amen. All right, thank you. Every episode, we want to kind of end by honoring the students we serve. So, Moira, tell us about the young people you serve. Uh, so every year we do an advocacy project in the law lab. Um, it kind of follows up our constitutional law unit where the kids are learning about the laws and then they get to learn about how to change them or specifically policies. And each group picks an issue they feel that teens in the Central Valley face. 
And with the guidance of a mentor teacher and a mentor attorney from the local bar association, they actually propose policy change to a local organization. It could be their school district. Sometimes it's the city. We've had people propose to the county level or even local nonprofits. Um, the project ends before winter break. And after the grades are given, a lot of groups end up dissolving or giving up because it can take a lot of time to get a policy developed. But uh, I have a really awesome story about one of our groups. Um, started out as seven CUSD and FUSD students who wanted to help teens in the LGBTQ plus community with uh, having more inclusive curriculum in schools. And after the grades were given out, two students were left standing. <laughs> Um, both happened to be Clovis Unified, and they stuck with the project and met with me outside of class time and ended up presenting before the Fresno Unified School Board a few weeks ago. Um, I went with them that night, and I was so proud to see these two students bravely stand up for what they believe in and ask for what they want. Um, they're also some of my more shy students, so public speaking is not easy for them, but that didn't stop them. And they were rewarded not only with really awesome positive feedback from the board, but an on-the-spot promise of $1,000 to fund their project idea. Um, and they want to make uh, informational pamphlets for inclusion in sex education classes that discuss definitions of just general LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus terms like gender and identity terminology. I mean, not even necessarily anything to do with sex, but just to give kids resources that they didn't have. And being able to support these two amazing students in changing their own world is probably, sorry, I'm getting teary, one of the best things about being a teacher. Yeah, that, that's a great story, man. Like you can hear kind of the pride in your voice. So, and we certainly know <laughs> like the hard work that goes into kind of changing policy and changing the culture, right? And Oh, yeah what courage the, for these, these two young people to go to a whole different school district and present to the board yeah, and be successful. That's amazing. All right, congrats to them and then congrats to you. Thank you. Columbus educators and all of you out there that have tuned in, we thank you for joining us in the conversation. To engage further, you can find us at www.cloviseducators.org and at our Instagram handle, at Clovis Educators. Remember, there is nothing wrong about having this conversation. You cannot legally be punished for participating, asking questions, listening to this podcast, attending a meeting, and ultimately, if you choose to, signing the union support petition. These are your legally protected rights. We are ACE, we love Clovis Unified, and we will see you next time on the ace pocket.